We're in the Gospel of Luke. We have this Sunday and next Sunday with this passage. And it is one of the most important events in the life of Christ. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets of old has risen. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Forever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. At this point in his ministry, Jesus has just performed the fantastic miracle of feeding 5,000. You'll notice in reading the comparative narratives, it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And the scripture said that after this had happened, he said he was praying alone. That word alone means apart. It wasn't that he was alone. He was with his disciples. But it was that he was apart from the multitudes. They had come aside from that massive gathering of people. And so he asked his disciples who had been with this group of people for some time and been hearing the conversations. And the ministry of Christ had progressed along a pretty good way into his ministry. It wouldn't be long now before he would go to Jerusalem and face the ordeal that was awaiting him there. So it, it's getting to be kind of a critical mass with respect to time and events. Christ is building up to his hour, his moment, when he will do what he has done. All of the miracles, all of the wonders, the healings, the sermons, the lessons, all had pointed to the cross. Christ was on his way to the cross that was awaiting him. And as he approaches that, he asks his disciples, First, the question, who do the people say that I am? That question would come to us this morning. Who do we say Christ is? Who do you think Christ is? A mythological character? A character of a fairy tale? A significant person in history? A good teacher? a prophet comparable to other outstanding religious leaders of world history? Who is he? What is his essential personal character? 
Is he indeed as he claimed to be? Fully man, but yet the Son of God as well? In every divine sense and in every human trait? Who is Jesus? Well, the the crowds had some answers in general. And the disciples kind of summarized them. Some say you're John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist had been the most dynamic preacher of his generation up to that time. He had preceded Christ by about six months of ministry and had an enormous ministry. At one point, the scripture says, all Israel came out to hear John. Famous preacher. And Jesus had followed in the wake of John and had gone in the places where John had gone and he preached to the multitudes that John had preached to. John, in fact, had been the forerunner of Christ. So it stands to reason they would say, he's John the Baptist. He's just like John. Some said, well, Elijah. Elijah was one of the ecstatic, dynamic prophets of the Old Testament. We don't find any writings by Elijah, but we find enormous miracles and great deeds done in the days of the kingdom of Israel, especially with Ahab and Jezebel and the house of Omri and all the things that occurred back there in the great northern kingdom powerful prophet, called down fire from heaven, healed. God took care of him, went through an enormous amount of life difficulties, uh, mentored one of the most outstanding prophets, Elijah. You know the story of Elijah. Jesus was Elijah. In fact, when he was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama bakthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some thought he was saying Elijah. And he was calling on Elijah to save him when he said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God. There was a close connection in those two. And then some said, well, he's one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, one of the men of old. In fact, one of the gospel narratives suggested Jeremiah. Here, Luke just tells us one of the prophets, perhaps Jeremiah, raised from the dead, maybe Isaiah Maybe Daniel, maybe Ezekiel, one of those great prophets. Of course, none of those answers were entirely correct. But they had an element of truth to them because each one of these men, as well as many other characters of the Old Testament in that narrative, sort of prefigured Christ, was just a little bit of a shadow, a little bit of a type, a little bit of a glimpse of who Christ would be in His person. But no, he was not any of those, even though he might have been like them in some ways. He was unique, so he pressed his disciples who he had been teaching. And he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I've always been fascinated by the numbers of times Jesus uttered the words, I am. Ego emi. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. These were the very utterances that God used in introducing Himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. What is my essence? What is my deity? Who am I in toto? In reality, 
Have you reckoned with that? Have you thought about that? It's not just who Christ is to you personally, although we'll get there. The second part of our passage has to do with our particular response to Christ. In fact, the scripture says here in verse 23, and he said to all, if you read the parallel narratives in the other gospels, you'll see that Jesus once again had gotten in front of the multitudes. And he was now talking to them and saying, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is going to demand something, require something of his disciples and his followers. He's going to call for complete and absolute allegiance. He's going to even reckon that his disciples, his followers, those who believe in him, those who belong to him, will go through much of what he did, a cross-bearing So much so that one of the apostles will later say, I am crucified with Christ. And we'll get to that when the time comes. But that's where we're headed. We're headed to your heart. What is your particular assessment of response to devotion to Jesus? Or do you dismiss him? Ignore him, berate him, oppose him, reject him. That's really where the passage is driving. We've now reached the point in the ministry of Christ where he's calling upon his disciples, all of them, not just the 12, all of them, to put up or shut up. It's time now where the open invitation that said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, turns to whoever comes to me must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. That's where Jesus is moving. And that's where he moves to us in our lives. Everyone in this room has got to reckon with Christ. What think ye of Christ. Who do you say that He is? In the confession of the... We know it's Peter from the other passages. Answering, saying, the Christ of God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What was Peter saying? How had, he, how had he pegged it? How had he identified Christ? He identified Christ as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Christos, the christened one, the Christ. In the Old Testament leadership, three offices were anointed. Prophets were anointed. Elijah, in fact, anointed Elisha. Prophets were anointed to speak the Word of God and to preach to the people and to hold forth the truths of of God. Prophets were anointed. Priests were anointed. The priests were anointed with the holy oil of Aaron where they were given 
the commission to be the mediator between the people and God. Jesus Christ fills that prophetic role as one who speaks. He's the very Word of God and as one who mediates. He is the one mediator between God and man. The one who intercedes for the people and the one who brings God to man and man to God. He's the one between the divine and the human. In His very person, He is both divine and human and therefore they meet. Priests were anointed. But also princes, not just prophet priests, but princes were anointed. You remember the familiar story of Samuel anointing Saul and then the little boy David to be the king of Israel. And all the kings of Israel were anointed. They received that special designation, that ritual that placed upon them the symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit in that oil. They were anointed to serve and to be that servant. And this is what Peter identifies Christ as. He says, you are the Christ. You, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the miracle worker, the preacher, the wonder worker, the son of Mary, our friend, in some cases, a cousin of some of the disciples, physically, by family relation. You who... That one among us or that anointed one that is to rule and to reign over Israel. Now briefly as I sum up, let me just say what that entails. That means that Peter was saying that Jesus is the king of the kings. Not just the king of Israel, but the king of the kings. Thou art that anointed one. The picture in popular understanding in that day was that the Messiah who would come and be the Redeemer of Israel would be a mighty man, a king, a hero, a warrior. And yet there was so little evidence that Jesus was trying to establish a political kingdom on earth that it was hard for Pilate at his trial to take seriously the witnesses. Pilate was a hardened old geezer and he had seen a lot of rebels in his day and he had seen a lot of people that would try to rise up against Caesar and Jesus just didn't look like that guy. And he washed his hands of the whole mess. He didn't see Jesus as a common insurrectionist or a challenge to the throne. But Jesus had done two things in his ministry. He had done one at this point, he was going to do the other. Two things that sort of demonstrated his royal power. One of them he was to do later on, shortly before his crucifixion, when he staged a parade. When he mounted a little mule and rode triumphantly into Jerusalem through the king's gate demonstrating himself to be the son of David and the king of Israel by riding on the small white mule like David's sons rode upon. That was one vivid little demonstration of his power. But there was another one. It had just happened. He had fed 5,000 men. Do you know how many men 5,000 are? It's a pretty good number. And remember the scripture said that he seated them on the mountain in companies of 50 So imagine it, if you will, 
100 companies of 50 men each arrayed upon the mountain. 5,000 men divided into the 50 cohort company of the army. Most of the great battles of the ancient world were fought with fewer than 5,000 soldiers. 5,000 soldiers arrayed upon the mountain was a mighty force. And not only that, the thing that logistically makes an army move is it moves on its stomach. Did Napoleon tell us that? The army moves with the logistics of feeding them. And Jesus had taken little fishes and little biscuits and turned them into full meals with 12 baskets left over. A great demonstration of His ability to raise and maintain that kind of fighting force. The disciples had witnessed it. The multitudes had witnessed it. And now they knew that Jesus was unmistakably making a claim. He was claiming to be, and He was recognized by His disciples to be, the King, the Lord, the King of kings. Let me just say this. If Jesus is not who He claimed to be, then He was a pathetic character. He was somehow severely delusionally misguided. Or He was the biggest buffoon and egomaniac of ancient history. But if He is who He claims to be, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, then we must, we must take Him seriously and ask ourselves the question, who do I say Jesus is? <laughs>